Hey, Rob here, and this episode of the Crooked Table Podcast is sponsored by Audible. Of course, this year we're journeying through the wizarding world of Harry Potter, and one of the very best ways to experience the book series is through the incredible audiobooks performed by Jim Dale. Audible has the entire series and so much more just waiting for you. To check out thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, and other spoken word entertainment, start your free 30-day trial today over at audibletrial.com slash crooked table. That's audibletrial.com slash crooked table. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. If you can drop us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. And this week, we are continuing our mostly, I guess it's because of the hiatus, year-long investigation, revisitation of uh, the Harry Potter series. And this episode, we're talking about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and I'm honored to welcome back to the show, Freddie Yannis. Hello, everyone. Original co-host <laughs> of the show back in the day. And uh, I think the last time we had you on was The Matrix. Yeah, The Matrix. Which is a big episode for both of movie. Well, that's what I said to you. Yeah. I was like, you should come on the show. It's a 100th episode because, you know, we started this together. And, and I said, what do you want to talk about? And you're like, The Matrix. And I was like, that's my favorite movie. So perfect. <laughs> 100 yeah. episodes. We'll just hit it. And we ended up talking for... Like maybe it was like an two hour and a half. half it was like, it was like two and a half hours. I actually so oh, okay. much, but back then I was splitting it in half. Oh yeah, yeah. it was two different episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I'm just like here's an hour and forty five minutes on one movie. Good luck with that, yeah. everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So when I was doing the Harry Potter thing, I did we did Star Wars last year, and this year I wanted to do Harry Potter because I feel like it's kind of the modern equivalent of Star Wars in a lot of ways. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, Harry Potter to my generation is right. the Star Wars of your generation. Exactly. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And maybe in our dad's generation. Yeah, yeah. Because it came out around, right, it came out in the Star 70s. Wars 77 and 80 and 83. The yeah, original so trilogy, that, yeah. that comes across several like generations. So, right. Well, like Kevin Smith, in a lot of people. Kevin Smith, who just turned 50, is like the most famous Star Wars fan. And yeah, he was like, I don't know, 12 or something. What was so it? Uh, yeah, so he turned 50. So yeah, he was like, yeah, a preteen basically, yeah. essentially, in that, that, that time before I was born. Yeah, Star, so, Wars, Star Wars in my generation was the prequels. So the Phantom Menace and yeah. nothing, be, nothing to write home I guess he was seven really. because it's seven. Yeah, so he was seven. So he was like the right age when the first one came out. Yeah. So yeah, so for you, the, when, I was, when I decided to do this franchise, uh, because I know it has a similar fan base to Star Wars, I'd say, other than, you know, the MCU, it's probably like these two in the kind of the geek sphere mm-hmm. for the, for the, the, not the, whatever the generation under the millennials is, I forget, uh, because I'm technically a millennial. Yeah. I, I knew that I wanted to get an episode with you on there because you were really big into Harry Potter with, when I barely knew what Harry Potter was, I think we all, and we started trying to talk about this beforehand. So I think we saw the first movie, you know, with our parents and you were 10 at the time. And I, I was around the age of you were, the people the, in the movie. You were the age of, yeah, like almost just a year, I think shy of Harry Potter himself. Yeah. So 
that was your introduction to the franchise, right? Tell people a little bit about how you got into Harry Potter and then I guess how you got the rest of the household into into the franchise. So yeah, I think it I think it started around I think I just watched the first movie. Yeah. And then I fell in love with it and I started reading the books after. And uh, yeah, I just consumed the books and then just watched the movies come out. And uh, and I always thought it was weird when they put like the artist like rendition of it. I was like, it doesn't look anything like Daniel <laughs> and Hermione. Like her hair is supposed to be always like frizzy, frizzy. And they only did it really in the first one. Like they teased it out, That's and true, then they yeah. kind of just like let it let it go off to the side. Yeah, I, I mean, I, to to Emma Watson's. Uh, Credit. Credit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just a frizzy. So I think, you, did you say I that? I still fall in love with it. I fell in love with it in the first one. <laughs> I know. I was telling Kai when we were watching it last night, I was like, she's really cute here. I mean, I know she's underage, because, but like you see in, in this movie, you see like the features that make her now like really attractive. Mm-hmm. Like even when she's a little girl, like she, she basically looks kind of the same, which is weird. Uh, in a way that you know these other the other all the a lot of the other actors look way different from yeah, the like, earlier movies especially but Emma like Watson Neville and, yeah well Neville's pff, like well, night and day Neville's yeah. like now ripped exactly. and now you're like hey Neville Longbottom yeah. he'd <laughs> yeah. be like the hunk of Hogwarts at exactly. that point um and I think uh yeah like Bonnie Wright who plays Ginny and like some of the other like they look totally different um but now we're off our, our first tangent of the of the episode so I think you said that the Last the Deathly Hallows came out around this time, like before, like around the time of this. Um, there about yeah, the, the the Deathly Hallows book came out around the time of the fifth movie. Okay, so yeah, so like so soon, yeah, soon after. I this. remember my first hardcover book was the Order, Order the, of the fifth one, Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't on on paperback, paperback. yet. Paperback, like, so for this shit. exactly. Yeah. So I got the hardcover. So I, I, that puts into perspective like the timeline of everything. So that means like the movies were the the books six and seven were still released while the movies were going on at the right. same time. Right. So. Yeah, and I remember that this is one of the, my main big memories about getting into the when when that whole that period was happening, mm-hmm. where the books were ahead of the movies, was that you were like very adamant. I would always like mess with you and be like, "I'm gonna look up and find out who what if Dumbledore dies or if Snape is bad." And you're like, "You better not!" You're like you <laughs> yeah. were like really protective over the franchise, and uh, and I thought that was that was pretty funny, like that you you were like you really wanted us to experience it like as it unfolded. Yeah, that's the case with everything. Yeah, though because uh, a lot of times, like, like you you wouldn't watch movies or shows. You would just like read, read up on it. it first. Well, it's like if and it's then, <laughs> and then watch if it's it. something I'm not gonna get into. Like, yeah. I Agents of as we're recording this, Agents of Shield just ended like the other day, and I watched the first two seasons, and I'm like, I'm not gonna catch up with season three through seven at this point. I got so much shit in my HBO Max, Netflix. Amazon Prime and yeah. Disney Plus uh, cues mm-hmm. is like not the top of my list. I still haven't watched Daredevil season three. So oh not, my god, You're I know, I know, that. I know. I've watched the first few. I just haven't finished it. You should skip the second one. <laughs> Went to the third season. I know. Well, <laughs> season two is fine. We have an episode on that if people want to hear our thoughts on season yeah. two of Daredevil. Um, 
But it's like I read about what happened in the series finale because I'm not going to go back and watch that. But yeah, Harry Potter was something I was invested in. So I was like, yeah, okay, you're right. I, I just, it was just a long wait because it was years yeah. of trickling out the rest of the story. And and when I realized that this episode was available, that, that this movie was available to talk about, I, I was like, well, that's the perfect one for Freddy because this is essentially the turning point of the whole thing. Like I wrote down in my notes, it was like, I wrote, this is the it, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, a.k.a. the one where shit gets real. Yeah. Basically. So yeah. when you, let's talk about Everything the, has been like culminating to this, right. this moment, this movie. This is, like you said, it's a turning point. All of it has been kind of like fun and games and in a way. Not, right. You know. Like I, I would show my, I would show my daughter, who's obviously she's three now, so she's too little really for any of these. But when she gets a little bit older, I'll probably show her the first three, and then we'll stop there for a while yeah. until we progress. Yeah. But like the first or three, even just the first two, the, yeah. Some of the parts, three, three is three, a little bit, yeah, with the dementors. with the dementors and uh, you know the the Peter Pettigrew. Mm-hmm. It's a little. That's a the little rat creepy. man. Yeah, yeah. How he turns in from a rat that's to some, like. A, that's, some, that's some like. Have you ever seen The Witches from 1990? You should watch that. No, I haven't. It's really good. It has some of that kind of transformation stuff. That's a good movie. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, but yes, and this is the one where like those first two are very. And I've talked about this on the podcast on previous episodes. The first two are very much of a piece. They're the same director. They have a similar tone. They're very slavish to the books. Mm-hmm. Like you can almost tick your watch, being like, oh, there's chapter one, there's chapter two. Like every five to seven minutes or whatever like there's a chapter break in the in the thing in the movie they're very light and sentimental and they make you want to cry at the end and that's kind of their their jam yeah uh, and then the third one is much more like tim burton-esque and much more spooky mm-hmm. uh it's it, it, it takes it to that dark place but like to the same level of spookiness as something like hocus pocus not that it's obviously a better movie than hocus pocus even though i like hocus pocus but um it's still like kid friendly yeah. And now it's this was the first one that was PG-13. It's the first one where there's an actual on-screen death, not just by the way, this dark wizard guy did some bad shit 13 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Um and then from this point on, this Voldemort's spoilers, Voldemort's arrival is the thrust of the rest of the franchise. And 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 it's kind of, it's basically if you're looking at this as as com- comparative to the original Star Wars saga, the six-part Star Wars, this is the Revenge of the Sith where shit just turns. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you, I guess, before we get into the movie, reading the book for the first time and realizing that that's where the story was heading? And I forget, I don't remember exactly what age you were when you would have read that, but you were probably around the same age as the kids still. No, Ish? no I would say maybe I was like 12 then, yeah. I would say I was maybe twelve because I I read the books really, really, really fast. quickly. So yeah. I probably I probably read all the books before even the sequel came out. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> nice. <laughs> or Chamber of Secrets. Right. Um so but but when I read it, I mean I'm I th- there was a lot of things that were obviously missing, but I feel like in the end it like they took the the biggest like parts and they they went with it like you don't want to have uh you know dobby and and winky you know and all of them and like the kitchen elves and right and stuff so i i see i like where they went with the movie it's the first one and where the turning they... the turning point where they poured key to 
I mean, we're kind of getting ahead. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah it, it was it was it was great to like see it on come on to screen. Life. Yeah, come to life on screen. Yeah. It's the first one where they've had to make liberal cuts, like you were saying. Like the first three, there's little things here and there that they cut out, but those books are pretty manageable. And I guess that's also the other reason why I see those first three as sort of kids' stories in a way, because the books are you know, a few hundred pages, but they're not like, like the rest of them from four on are basically. Yeah, they're not like, I think this one's like 700 and yeah. Like and it goes, I think either or, or either five or six, I think is the longest. Yeah. And then seven was so crucial that they're just like, we have to do two movies. We can't, yeah. <laughs> there's it's like, yeah, yeah it's like all, it's all, it's all a plot basically. There's yeah. no B plus no like winky that you can cut out, which exactly. sounds very much more violent and scary for us guys. Than I intended the winky being cut out, but um, but yeah, so I think that's kind of a good key up into talking about the actual movie because I want to make sure we get to that in relatively quickly. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire right now. Is that Hermione Granger with Victor Crumb? You're fraternizing with the enemy. The enemy. Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event. The Tri-Wizard Tournament. And now, the champion selection. Victor Crump. Fleur Delacour. Cedric Diggory. Harry Potter! How did you do? I didn't put my name in that cup. I don't want eternal glory. It's not our moody. Father Kedavra. Killing curse. Only one person is known to have survived it, and he's sitting in this room. People die in this tournament. The devils are inside the walls. Someone's coming closer. I can feel it. The Dark Lord shall rise again. That was a little bit of the trailer for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, directed by Mike Newell, uh, who I think had done things like Four Weddings and a Funeral, things like that before. And mm. and it, he's also the first uh, British director of this franchise, which it had an American do the first two, and then a Mexican did the third one, you know, Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. And then after this, David Yates takes over for the duration, including the Fantastic Beast movies. So do you, first of all, transitioning from the book side of it, you, I guess we kind of already touched this, but where does this rank as far as adaptations from book to film, and where does this one rank for you in the overall saga? Big questions. Yeah, that's a difficult question. I'd have to reread some of the books. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in terms of like my favorites, I'd say I like the last one the best Mm -hmm. so the deathly hallows would be best for me the movies or the books or uh, both i guess uh, probably both Mm -hmm. yeah um then order the phoenix then prisoner of azkaban then so this is like middle yeah this is about middle of of the road yeah okay cool i think i'm i think i'm a little more favorable than this i feel like again i'm re-watching them all now for the first time in I don't know, whenever I showed these to Kai several years ago. Yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah, I'm still kind of evaluating it myself. But I love that right from the beginning from for this one, you get that feeling that it is, like we said, darker from the very beginning. You have that, actually, you have the first on-screen death, I forgot, mm-hmm. in the first, like, two minutes of the movie where 
the innkeeper kind of walks up and, and sees Voldemort Nagini kind of swoops behind him. And uh, and there's your first Avada Kedavra. Technically, you don't see him die. You don't see him. That's true. Yeah, because technically you could say like, oh, it's the parent, like you show like the parents being killed when they flash back or whatever. Right. It's because of the love, all that stuff. Um, but you never actually see someone die until the end of the film. That one, it's kind of, it goes like Avada Kedavra and then... Harry wakes up. And Harry just wakes up. Right. With like, uh, oh, was that a dream? It felt so real. Right. Blah, blah, blah. I do, I, I do love that too. Now that, now that you mentioned that, we should just jump into that part of it. I like the, all the setup in this one for the, the connection between mm-hmm. Voldemort and Harry. Like you can tell, like, I don't know if J.K. Rowling had planned that before because it doesn't really show up in the previous stories, yeah. but starting in this one, there's like, he has visions. I mean, I think the closest you get is that his scar burns when Voldemort is near that happens in the other ones. But I, I think this is the first time they're like, no, there's a mental connection. Like they can like see shit. That's happening in each other's uh, in each other's lives, sort of. Is this? The, am I right in saying that this is the first kind of step towards where Order of the Phoenix really takes it? Yeah, the, I, and also it, it makes sense that he it has to put a little bit of his blood. Well, I guess we're we're it's ju- fine. I'm jumping no, no, again. it's all good. Spoilers. <laughs> it's like a 15 year old movie, guys. Putting a little bit of uh, his blood in the cauldron at the end of the right. movie because it's also like, oh, you know, he Voldemort's a part of him or whatever. But so it's also maybe so he can, that's how he can touch him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think I think they both tie into the other movies perfectly. Uh, in the sense of the burning and seeing each other's visions. I don't know if Voldemort could see not, Harry, but yeah, because at this Voldemort point, left this a, is when it first We're not going to get to the reason that Voldemort, like the, the ultimate reveal with Harry and Voldemort's connection, which is in Deathly Hallows, uh, but it deals with the prophecy and all that stuff. Uh, but I, yeah, it's the first indication that we get that there's a piece, a little piece of, well, I guess they say it in the previous movies, that there's a piece of Voldemort left behind in Harry, basically. Mm-hmm. That there's a there's that connection that he's able to kind of see things and it's a big weapon that he uses against him in the well, next. Well, I don't few I don't know if they say that it's a that's a piece of him transferred some of his or, powers. I think Dumbledore says to Harry uh, in the early ones or two. I think that's how they oh, okay. explain the parcel tongue. Okay. See, I'm gotten really in yeah, the weeds with this franchise the, now. Not, not that not that he's like, yeah, but it's the first like not that he's a part of him, but yeah. it transferred some of his powers. Over, over to him. Right. Okay. I thought it was maybe like this is like a, a footprint of what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, and he left his footprint on you. Well, not they, not in the sense like, like, like he's transferred over to him. Right. Because I don't think Harry his consciousness yeah. knew that. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have thought about like the Horcruxes and maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he Figured kind of out. knew, but he didn't really like know until he saw like. You know, this is later in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in the movies. <laughs> it's all good. But he, until he saw, like, images uh, in the pensive and stuff. Mm-hmm. Pensive. Pensive? Pensive. Pens- pensive. I think, I think they pensive? say it as pensive. I don't know. Mm. Because it's a play on words. Pensive, like, the word, like, you're thinking of something yeah. thoughtfully. Pens- you're being pensive. But pensive, like a sieve that you I've always called it in. pensive. Either way, it works. <laughs> it's all good. It's, you see it on the page. You don't really... They don't even... I think they say it in these movies, like, very, very, very fast, though. Yeah. Uh, but I love that dynamic between, you know, my favorite thing, in, whether it's Star Wars, Harry Potter, The Matrix, whatever, is the hero-villain dynamic. Mm-hmm. How they're, like, 
complete opposite, like so similar in a lot of ways, but also complete opposites in some ways. So you get like literally in in the Matrix, which we're gonna I'm gonna talk about the sequels eventually, not with you, but because <laughs> you're like fuck that, not into it. Um, <laughs> how yeah. he's Smith is literally his negative, his opposite, his negative, mm-hmm. and you get that you're sort of starting to get the similar background for these two characters for Harry and Voldemort. How they, you know, they grew up. You know, their past is marred by tragedy. They, they have similar, uh, I don't know, just similar paths. And you, you start to see the little moments where Harry could have gone the other way. Mm-hmm. In this one, and because you know you had technical difficulty with your DVD, in this one you have that moment. Oh, I guess you did see this part in the in the uh, maze. Yes, where he almost leaves Cedric there. Mm-hmm. Like he has that moment where he's like, I thought you were going to leave me there, and he's like. For a second, so did I. Yeah. Like you could see the little flashes of darkness in him, and I think this movie, considering we haven't really met Voldemort until this point, I think it it, it does. It, it's it's astonishing to me how much groundwork had been you had been done to get us to that point. You know what I mean? Because in the first one, he's the some face on the back of some dude's head. Mm-hmm. In the second one, he's a memory in a book. The third one, you don't see Voldemort at, at all. Actually, it's the only one that he's not. I don't. I think it's the only one he's not seen whatsoever. Because even in the next one, uh, well, it's Half Blood Prince, maybe. Even Half Blood Prince, you see like flashbacks to Voldemort. Mm-hmm. In Prisoner of Azkaban, there's no trace. You just hear lots about Voldemort, obviously, but you don't see Voldemort in the movie at all. And this is the first time we really meet him. And it, and it, it's you know it it's in his current form, right? Yeah. Well, he's as I was as I said when when I was watching it recently, I said he's like a little man baby for yeah. most until he gets thrown in the little in the bath like, oh, basically. He's so cute. Yeah, <laughs> not exactly. He's kind of scary, uh, but uh, but yeah, you get that that moment where they finally come face to face has that much impact because they've been spent three and a half movies building up to finally seeing this dude's noseless face. Yeah. You know? I wonder if anyone, I'm sure someone created like a little doll that's like Voldemort. With no nose. Yeah. With no nose. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that thing in what's the next one, I think, where they're like, Voldemort, we have something that Voldemort doesn't have. And you and I were always like, noses. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing. Uh, but I love that that hero-villain dynamic. And I think that they tease it out really in, in a fun way in this movie, where they talk about Voldemort, like they reference him to Death Eaters and stuff. But they don't. But yet, that graveyard sequence mm-hmm. still kind of comes as a surprise because you don't know that. That's spoilers. A port key when you're reading or watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So it just completely floors you. And I know now we're really skipping way ahead, but we're not really going sequentially. So I guess let's talk about the graveyard scene. Just talk about the ending since we're in it. Yeah. That sequence is. I wrote it down here too. Is is straight fire. Like that is my one of my favorite sequences in the whole saga franchise whatever this mm-hmm. thing is uh and i think it's because of the moment that i said it's the moment where you first like luke and vader first face off basically it's yeah. like it's that kind For of the thing. first time yeah so what are your thoughts on that sequence and why it works so well and why i'm getting all like all like amped up just talking about it uh, so yeah so it it, it it blindsides you in the movie a little bit but in the books it completely blindsides you because um you you don't suspect anything is going to happen at mm-hmm. the, once they reach the trophy uh, because there's no you can maybe like guess like something is is wrong because there's the whole thing with Moody mm-hmm. and they show like some of the quirk that Barty Crouch had with the tongue yeah. 
So you can kind of like they added that that wasn't in the books. So what wasn't in the books? The, the, the tongue the, thing. The tongue oh, nice. Thing. So there was really no like tell that this guy was Barty Crouch was was moody mm-hmm. or playing moody in in in, uh, in in school. But if you're watching the movie, you can maybe think like, oh, this is this is weird, you know. And Barty Crouch Senior even like notices that something's well that's that there's that great scene where i'm watching it knowing the twist because i've seen this before yeah and you're watching brendan gleason play barty crouch under the thing and also him trying to be like he's like it's like a dude playing a dude disguises another dude essentially exactly so so it's like there's so much layers to his performance in this movie but especially in that scene Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's kind of the i guess if there is a tip-off in this that's the biggest one though if you in the book says there's absolutely no way that you would know that that's going to be a port key and it just they touch it and all of a sudden they're in you know an ominous graveyard right so and they're like what's going on you know so uh again great to to see the portrayal in, right. in the movies and everything and the tones were so much darker watching it than reading it mm-hmm. for sure but the surprise was a lot more in your face in the like I mean the surprise it, it did come out of nowhere in the books though. Mm-hmm. As in the movie you could maybe guess like something's up here. If right. you're really like analyzing everything. But right. there's only like little little details, like little like like hints that they give you throughout the 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 movie. I think these movies, I feel like I've mentioned this on a, on one of the previous episodes. I'm probably, forgive me listeners if I'm re- repeating myself, but I feel like they are underrated when the, for the, the way that they function as mysteries. Because I think that legitimately all of these movies are essentially at their at their core, you know, like Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, all they're like Mr. Mystery Stories with kids trying to on Scooby-Doo. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of they're fantasies, but they're mysteries laid within a fantasy world, really, is what they are, kind of. And I I, I think that this one this one has such a cool way that it unfolds with, as you said, the Mad Eyed Moody thing, and then the way that it, it like completely flips on its head. And then you're you and Harry and Cedric briefly are are plunged into this like nightmare escape mm-hmm. and it just i, I that, that sequence just works so well it feels otherworldly and yeah i don't know the tone yeah. completely flips yeah 100 i mean you talk about like the the turning point that moment is the turning point i mean the whole book is but that moment is specifically you go from um you know they're they're you know, it's like a like a like a uh, they're just competing in right. this in this tournament, and um, yeah, it's serious and yeah, there's like danger, but there's never real danger like like being surrounded by death eaters and your worst or enemy that you dream about and right that's caused havoc for years and everything, so and and killed your parents, you know, so it's like. But in one fell swoop, you're just in you're in the shit with with Pretty Harry, much, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, and I want to ask your opinion because you obviously read the books before you saw the movies. Yeah. Uh, what was your? How did you think Ray Fine did as Voldemort? Like, did he embody that character? Did he have the impact that he was supposed to, or did you picture him differently? Like, what was kind of your your perspective seeing this this noseless snake man uh, kind of emerge from 
that the the fire and whatever. I didn't really was have an image of Voldemort in mind when I really read the books, mm-hmm. but I, I love you know Ray Fine's like depiction of it. Yeah, he really gets his to, portrayal. He he leans and he's my favorite kind of villain, which mm-hmm. is unabashedly evil like the, the palpits again keep going back to star wars but these franchises have a lot in common as far as like their, their chosen one narratives and all that stuff uh the like the pasty face dark lords <laughs> i yeah. mean uh he just leans into the evilness and just like he's just um hamming it up a little bit when he's on screen yeah i love it I, it's so much fun i and, love the the in the seventh the eighth movie uh-huh. um when he gives like Malfoy like this awkward hug, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments <laughs> of him. He's like, "Come here," and he just like, "Good job, Draco." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he just gives like the weirdest hug ever, and Draco's like, "Why are you hugging me?" He has really he has his cackle game is on point too because yeah. he's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. "Harry yeah. Potter is dead," yeah. and he gets really excited, uh, but. I want to kind of use that since we we kind of we're going complete backwards, but the graveyard scene, as we said, awesome, perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor Robert Pattinson in this movie, and then I wish that would have happened to him in Twilight, so we would have spared <laughs> us. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the rest of the Team cast. Jacob. Robert Pattinson, I thought actually in this movie, very charming, very likable. You feel sad when he gets murdered. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, because he's like the typical nice guy right you know you you notice that he in ways he's probably better than harry in terms of like his her you know his heroic and, and he's not as much nice. of a reluctant hero as harry exactly. he would have probably just gone for it and had everybody like exactly. i don't know should i what's he, it he's do? like the the straight depiction of gryffindor right so um and you feel, so you feel for him when he goes. He's Gryffindor, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be torn apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Gryffindor. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Potter fan, but you know, there's some like really serious like Harry Potter fans. <laughs> so I don't want to get. Oh yeah, there's torn really serious everybody, everything fans. Yeah, uh, especially these days. <laughs> so I don't blame you. But no, I and I, I love not only that they let him be nice, even though he's kind of Harry's competition as far as representing. Hogwarts and competing in the Triwizard Tournament, mm-hmm. but they, they, the two of them, there's like there's not really an animosity between them. Yes. There's not really a Harry Draco situation with Cedric. They, you know, they're competing each other, sure, but they're not like there's no real like uh, hate it's or anything going on. They're yeah, they actually kind of have each other's backs. Harry learns about the dragons. He tells Cedric. Cedric figures out the thing with the. I mean, it's all Mad Eye Moody slash Party Crouch pulling the strings, but still. Yeah. Cedric learns about it and tell about the the egg and tells Harry and then, then you know they go and grab the portkey together at the end like they are they there's like there's a friendship there mm-hmm. that I think makes you feel even more for him when he's taking it out of commission so it's like I almost wish obviously I wish he hadn't got killed but then we wouldn't have the impact of that moment uh, but he almost wished that he would have lasted a little bit longer in that graveyard because he might have been able to help Harry out a little bit but he like us is, so he's like wait we're in a different movie now. Because this, when this movie was marketed, for people that hadn't read the books, you're like, Harry Potter in like a Wizard Olympics, what up? How's that going to go? And then they're like, nope, you haven't been watching that movie. You've been watching Voldemort getting him to this point. Like, it, the entire movie is completely reframed. And I love that about it. Yeah, and he's the first... I mean, I guess in the the 
The first movie, The Sorcerer's Stone. What, is, what isn't the teacher the one with the face on the back of his head? Quirrell. Quirrell. Yeah. He dies, doesn't he? Yeah, he turns to ash and goes, oh. Okay, so he, he's he's the first one to really die. This is the Technically, first good guy. That's true. Okay, first hero. But he, yeah. he, he also kind of disintegrates uh, on accident, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess it's the first time the good guys lose in any way. I, I, let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Like, it's the Avengers Infinity War of, of uh, Harry Potter, too. Exactly. Or Empire Strikes Back, or whatever you want to compare it to. Yeah. But it's that, and uh, yeah, I love I love the way that it is. And of course, you have to buy into the fact that well, this was Voldemort's plan because I always watch it. I'm like, I love that it's now all of a sudden a different movie. But on the other hand, I'm like, really, a year of just to get, you can't like make Harry Potter's like coffee mug turn into a portkey and then he goes to get a sip in the morning and <gasps> I'm in the graveyard. Oh shit. Yeah. Like, why does it have to be like a year of like undercover polyjuice potion and it's too and all this like right? <laughs> Voldemort's such a diva that he's just like, no, no, it's gonna be. He's like um, Doctor Evil. He's like, yeah. he's drop with him in the un- unnecessarily slow moving dipping mechanism. I'm yeah. like, serious? I have a wand in my room. Go get it. Exactly. Oh, about a cadaver. His yeah. brains out. You, you, well, you could have. Yeah, you could have done it to anything. You could have done it to his broom. You could have done it to. I don't understand his wand. I and mean, at a certain you point, you gone, just gotta be like, because that's then there would be no movie. I guess. Akio firebolts, and then he touches the thing, and he's gone. <laughs> Akio firebolt. Oh shit! Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Yeah. Yeah. The first task. Um, but I guess I guess God. they have to do it where there there wouldn't possibly be any witnesses. I, I, that's the only explanation that I can think of. Except for it's, yeah, Cedric. Because so, anyone could be like, oh, he touched his coffee mug and he was just gone. <laughs> <laughs> and Dumbledore is like, well, <laughs> something is up here. Yeah, um, <laughs> Some, yeah, something is up here. I need to find out <laughs> where he is or what to do. But but if they're supposedly in the maze. They have no idea that, you know... What's happening. What's happening. They don't know where to... They and their don't know plan that he's was, gone. And their plan was clearly to kill Harry and then, I guess, send Harry's dead body back and be like, ha-ha, bitches! Voldemort was here, essentially. Or, or not, I don't know. Have him never yeah, show up again? Just have him, yeah, disappear. Just really. But yeah, that was clearly the plan. Didn't go Didn't go so well for uh, for old no-nos. But... Uh, but yeah, so I, I like you know that. Did, just not all the way. He, yeah, he, he tried, got he got there. He, he got part of the way. He just yeah. he just you know dropped the ball at the finish line or whatever yeah. whatever sports analogy you want to use for that. Uh, so I'm talking about the performances real fast. I also wrote down about Brendan Gleeson, Mad Eye Moody. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great actor in general. He's been in a million other things, uh, and of course Emma Watson. I think we can all pretty much agree, probably the MVP among the kids. Of of all of these movies, I would say, and in our hearts, and in our hearts, <laughs> and in and in the hearts of uh, she's definitely the, the, the more mature the, one out of and Gaston out yeah. of the, the the three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the most mo- most well developed, I think, too. Like she has, she, you understand her more than the other two uh, two characters. I think, you know, yeah, you see more facets of her personality. She's more. Like she goes from being the concerned friend to like you know, uh, I don't know the jealous. She's jealous with Ron, and they have like this is also the first one of the. It's more like the the the, the know it all like do gooder. Yeah, yeah. She to gets a lot more concerned depth. friend to um, to you know you know trying to 
be more than just like Harry's sidekick, Harry's sidekick doing her own thing and uh, becoming more independent instead of it just being like, I'm just part of the group. Right. Yeah. This is also speaking, since we're talking about Hermione, this is also the first one where you really kind of, they lean way more into the romantic subplot because you get in the first three, you know, they're kids. So like Hermione gets scared and grabs Ron's hand in the last one. And then us, the viewers like, Oh, Mm-hmm. They like each other. Like mm-hmm. you get little glimpses of those in the first three, but this is the first one where they're like, "Hey, we're teenagers. We got hormones and shit." She's pretty. I know it. What up? You know. Yeah. And and uh, this is where they start to toy with that more. And then obviously in the next one, there's Cho Chang and Harry. And then in six, it's like the whole like a big portion of Half Blood Prince is all about the love potion and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, teenagers in love, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you? What are your thoughts on? That subplot, the way it goes here, did you think it felt like a natural progression? And to that, uh, to the end, as far as Hermione, a lot of people, including J.K. Rowling, have said, "Shit, I should have put her with uh, Harry and not Ron." Do you where, where do you land on that? Do you ship Hermione and Harry or what? I, I've I've always thought that Hermione should be with Harry, but I I. I like the the whole aspect with with pairing him with Ron though, just because it adds a little bit more depth to Ron's character, mm-hmm. um, and and developing their relationship, and then it shows like okay, Harry and Hermione are, are just friends. Um, they're just very very good close friends, but yeah. she has romantic feelings for Ron. So there's like a like a, a dynamic of relationships between the three of them. Right. You know? And they play off of that in the rest of the movies, I think, really well. Like, this is the exactly. first time... This is the this is the movie where I think they kind of solidify the her, the platonic nature of Harry and Hermione, where she goes to, like, see, to see him in the tent before the first task, mm-hmm. and Rita Skeeter twists everything around, and... and and she shows obvious feelings for Ron, like you said. Like this and is Ron's this is where jealousy. they like yeah, this is where they like really lean into uh Hermione being into Ron, Ron feeling secondary to Harry, Ron's worry that her maybe her subconscious even that Hermione's gonna fall for Harry, which you see in seven mm-hmm. with that vision. Yeah. Which I think was is really is a really cool payoff to shit that starts happening now. Exactly, yeah. Um, and I, and just, you know, as far as seeing a male-female platonic friendship in these kinds of movies, I think it's nice that Harry and Hermione always have each other's back, uh, but not each other's front. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you have the, the scene in the tent, the scene in, in Seven where they're hiding and Ron gets pissed off and storms out. And then they're like dancing to just try and have a moment of lightness in like this crazy this shit that they're in. Like- yeah, there's no like, there's never a romantic tension really between them they're just like they know where they stand and i think that's i think that's cool to see that in a movie where like you mentioned twilight a, a little while ago where where it's like oh team edward or team jacob which one is she gonna pick Ooh. Yeah. And they they don't play that game here as much no exactly. they just it's just a gradual build-up of two ron and hermione which i which i think is is cool uh not necessarily that ron deserves her but that's a totally separate thing there's <laughs> there's people that end up with people they don't deserve all the time. So it's believable it will happen in the magical world as well. Um, so we haven't even really talked about the Triwizard Tournament very much. So, of course, 
you know, the three schools come together, the Bobatons, Durmstrang, and I can't believe I remembered those off the top of my head. I didn't have them written down. Uh, <laughs> and they have the three tusks, the dragons, the mermaids, and then, of course, the maze. Uh, I think that I really like this idea, and I think part of why the movie benefits from having a British director is that it feels like a movie based in, in the UK. You know what I mean? Like, even from the beginning, with you see the Quidditch World Cup, it feels like, it feels more tangible, like it's grounded in a real, actual nation that exists in our world, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just generic movie land. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that is a, a testament to the director, but also the testament to how Hogwarts needs to stand, uh, dis- distinguish itself from those two other schools, from other nations. Thoughts? I, the only thing is that I, I, I like that it's to unify all the schools and bring everyone together. But if if he's clearly underage, why, how, why are they going to be like, it's the rules? <laughs> That's, I wrote that down, too. I wrote that down, too. Yeah. You're, you're ahead of me now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, oh, he's 14 and, and the 17 is the cutoff. Uh, that doesn't... Wow! How, how? How? Why? Why does he have to? Barty Crouch is like it's a rule. binding magical contract, and I wrote, "How about fuck you, Goblin?" <laughs> like, exactly. I we change. We said it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's what's the guy's uh, the headmaster's name? Cornelius from, Fudge from Crumb School. Uh, oh uh, no no from uh, Karkakoff. Yeah, so he tampered with the goblet to have Crumb's name come out. Oh, uh, okay. They so don't think they they don't cover that in the movie. I don't. It think. shows it 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 shows him like well, he's going a, towards the goblet and mm-hmm. like closing the door. Oh so yeah, it's like, they imply it. Yeah, yeah. And during the the scene where the the papers are being thrown out um, to show who the contestants or the 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 champions are going to be, right? Um, uh, and it pulls out a fourth name. He's like, oh, maybe I did something wrong. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he obviously did some sort of, he tampered with the goblet in some way to to make Crumb's name come out mm-hmm. because he wants his school to his win His best or person, something. yeah. He wants the best, yeah, exactly. It's, um, you mentioned Karkakov. I said about, I said, fuck you, goblet already. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the other thing that I really like about this movie is not only the, the you know the, the national representation that, but also they. This is the first time I believe, in, at least in the movies, we even hear what his followers named. Like we even hear the term "Death Eaters," basically. Yes. They you know in the other movies they mention oh he had his followers and blah blah blah, but they didn't give them a name. They, we, we learn about the death like a lot. This is this is the one where you're like. We are basically the audience are are we're in a defense against the dark arts class because they're like, hey, all right, Death Eaters, the Dark Mark, uh, unforgivable curses. Mm-hmm. Like it's like straight up. This is the most I think information we get about how the dark magic works mm-hmm. thus far because you're just like, hey, you're gonna need to know this because we're gonna spend a lot of time with with uh, he who must not be named. So get on the ball. Uh, but it it gets into the whole question of once you're a Death Eater. Do you, can you ever really stop being a Death Eater? Which is a big question for the rest of the movies. Karkakov, as it turns out, unrepentant. Seems like he's straight up on board with uh, Voldemort from the from the jump. Malfoy, kind of, like, secretively being like, you know, 
putting like, putting his chips in Voldemort's column, but it's like the mafia. Like you can't you can't you can't leave uh, ever. You know, right. you either leave in a body bag or you have to like run and hide. Well, even more than that, and you, um, sorry, and uh, and with him being gone, a lot of them, you know, probably ended up not being. Death Eaters anymore, and if they didn't show up in the graveyard, they might have been killed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And obviously, you see when they show up in the, in the graveyard, he's like, "How come no one came for me?" And Lucius is like, "Oh, I didn't hear. It. If I heard any whisper, I would have." And he's like, "Oh, there's been whispers, motherfucker. You're not listening. <laughs> You're not listening. Here's to the ground, Lucius." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but the, but even more so than you said, you mentioned the mafia. Even more so, you get a lot of. And you say that they say this about the Empire all the time, like in, in Star Wars, to go to draw that, continue that comparison now, uh, that they're like basically space Nazis. And these are essentially magic Nazis or uh, like or even sort of related Ku Klux Klan. You get like when they show up at the Quidditch World Cup with their big hooded, like, ma- yeah. like hooded, pointy <laughs> masks yeah, and and like the torches and shit like very like straight up ripped right out of american history class yeah uh, instead of black people it's muggles yeah exactly yeah. exactly it's very much like yeah. the master race kind of like it's it's a they're magic nazis slash clan members whatever yeah exactly so that's that's the analog that they're going for with these movies so the whole thing there being can you ref- can you really reform from that? And that's what, kind of what these this movie starts to lean into even more. So, really, I think kind of laying the groundwork for Snape's arc and the mystery behind him in Half Blood Prince and and kind of going into the last one, uh, because we get a glimpse at the trials of some of these people of Karkakov and and Barty Crouch Jr. being like sort of like secretively on the side there. They like you said they have uh, they reveal that he used to be a Death Eater, right? And they have the dark marks, which, which is sort of a symbol. It's almost like having a swastika yeah. tattooed you, on your arm. You and can see that he was even um, in the scene where Harry's walking by and Snape's in his closet. Uh, that guy again, the headmaster, what's his name? Karkakov? Mm-hmm. He's like Igor showing. Karkakov, yeah. Yeah, he's showing uh, Snape the mark on his arm and he's like talking about it. He's like, shit's it. happening. Look, it's glowing and stuff or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, that's when he walks by. Right. So he's like trying to tell Snape or whatever to... I guess Rally little did troops. he know. I guess little did he know he was like a spy or something. Yeah. According to Dumbledore, he didn't look in the pensive. Snape? Pensive. Yeah. Whatever it's called. Pensive <laughs> for me. <laughs> but I, I, lo- I, I love that we get a glimpse of that. I mean, through Harry, Harry's our, our entry point into this world. So, of course, we, they have to introduce the pensive or pensive, however, whatever we want to say. I really think it's pensive. <laughs> I've always read it like pen, like a sieve. Like it, yeah. it reads the same way. Yeah. I don't know. So you get that that magical device sort of introduced here to give us flashbacks, which they, again, use more later in the sequels. Mm-hmm. So I love that part of it. And, I, and I, I think it's just a cool idea to put in these fantasy, in air quotes, fantasy kids movies, sort of. Uh, this whole this like heavy subject matter of once you do these terrible things, can you be redeemed? Once you marginalize an entire you know, for lack of a better term, race mm-hmm. in this case, muggles and half bloods and whatever, can you come back from that? And the movie doesn't really 
give you an an, uh, an indication, a hundred percent of that. I think this is just them putting the question out there, and then they answer it later on when we do get the whole Snape, uh, you know, pensive thing with the teardrop, and and we kind of get his full backstory. We're like, oh, he was actually on Harry's side the whole spoilers on Harry's side the whole time. <laughs> like, you, you know, you kind of get that uh, that perspective on it, and I think it's. It's just a cool idea that they're that they're baking into this movie, and it, and it's part of what makes this franchise and what makes fantasy, sci-fi, horror, those genres so fascinating to talk about and to discuss and break down, is that they're able to tackle these like very heavy real life themes, but because it's all magic, it's it's more accessible. It's, you know, if you made a movie about Nazis, you're not going to bring your eight year old to go see that in the movie theater, but yeah. if there's magic involved, it's you can kind of teach them a similar lesson. Uh, and I think, it, it, I don't know, I love that part of it. Yeah, the subject matter is definitely dark, but it's it's it has all, like, the, the wands and this. There's no... Right. And there's, the killing is just them saying a spell. It's and not then like, passing out. Yeah, it's not as extreme. Yeah, speaking yeah. of, the, the unforgivable curses, that scene with the spider, I yeah. love that shit. Well, that's also really important, too, because we didn't know watching the movie, or if you read the book, obviously, but watching the movie, didn't know that that was Barty Crouch Jr., but, um, I mean, that's the curse that he did on Neville's parents, mm-hmm. the the uh, the Cruciatus, Cruciatus uh, yeah. curse. So he knew that, you know, that he did that to his parents, and he was trying to get like a rise out of him, I guess, because obviously it bothers him. Mm-hmm. Right. To yeah, see it true. Done yeah, when, yeah. When it happened to his parents. Right, did that. Uh, there's so pretty much everything Mad Eye Moody does in this movie, you can look at it like, oh, he's just, he's well meaning, but kind of extreme. He's like the J.K. Simmons from Whiplash of the Harry Potter world. Yeah. Not quite my tempo, that kind of thing. Or he's a psychopath pretending not to be. <laughs> yeah, and, and the there's that's the, the the turning Malfoy into a ferret yeah, thing. Gonna, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if that was not as much about protecting Harry and more about uh, messing with Lucius's son. Oh, yeah, that's you know a good point. I mean? Because uh, for one, it, it might be he just doesn't like Lucius, or, but or two, it might be because Lucius. Isn't, wasn't really faithful. Wasn't really as faithful. So I feel like it, it, he had other intentions behind yeah. turning, you know. There's a double motive to, a to everything yeah. that Mad Eye, you know, fake Mad Eye does in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but I love, yeah, I love the unforgivable curses sequence with the spider. It's just really, it kind of turns comedic in a way mm-hmm. with him like messing with the students, even though that's like grossly inappropriate. But everything he does is grossly inappropriate. But I mean, all the three unforgivable curses were done in the movie. If you're, if you, because the Cruciatus curse, not only is it important because Neville's parents and feeding into his backstory and, and uh, Barty Crouch's, Barty Crouch Jr.'s backstory, but it was also done to Harry in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, the Avada Kedavra was done to Cedric in the graveyard. And then the last one is to control people. And that's what Imperial, happened think, yeah. to, uh, I'm pretty sure that's what happened to Crumb. Yeah. Yeah. That gets a good point. Yeah. So, and that's why he was going after everyone in the maze 
accept Harry, mm-hmm. you know? And you notice, like, he comes, he goes, he sees Harry, obviously, and uh, and he chooses not to do anything because he's like, I'm going after everyone else. <laughs> because we're talking about the unfor- unforgivable, unforgivable curses. Uh, you, you made me think of Chamber of Secrets because at the end, and I talk about that on, on that episode, uh, he, Lucius is ready to fucking kill Harry in front of Dumbledore's office. It's like, you can hear him go, Havada, like with his wand. But also, I'm thinking now maybe the Imperio curse is what Tom Riddle or whoever used on Ginny to get her to kind of, because young Tom Riddle says that she was in a, so we say, sort of trance or whatever, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that was the Imperio curse that was making Ginny write the stuff on the wall and like, you know, kind of... Uh, be sort of the the culprit of the, the whole chamber of secrets. Of so, yeah, yeah. So I, was, I didn't even never even thought of that until now. Uh, it's, I think, it, and I think that's a testament to how well these ideas are seeded in the stories. That then she 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 kind of tosses like a, a little crumb, no pun intended, <laughs> in in one of the earlier books, and then like goes back to their old stories and it's like, okay, how can I expand that into a much more fleshed out and integral idea into this one and then going forward. It's also rounding out an I- idea. Right. You know, it's like, okay, this was mentioned and you can mention things all day, but if it's important to the story and it's uh, it's like a callback moment in a way, I mean, that's that's great storytelling. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think I think she really handles that insanely well in this franchise. Uh we mentioned sort of Rita Skeeter and the whole romantic thing and Ron and jealous of Harry. And that's the other thing I wrote down. Why is Ron such a dick in this? And then I answered my own question. I was like, because he's 14. Yeah. <laughs> because he's 14 and he's friends with Harry Potter, which I feel like anybody that was friends with Harry Potter. Uh, and, you know, I mean, not anybody because most of a lot of the other people don't. But Ron, Ron's background is so different than Harry's. And he's not seeing the fact that, oh, I have this family that loves me and I lived in a home and I'm, you know, yeah, I had hand-me-downs, but I have never really been lonely or, you know, felt unloved. Meanwhile, Harry's living in fucking under <laughs> stairs, yeah. being stomped on by his cousin. And he's very woe is me. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, he's, he's like, oh, well. <laughs> First world problems. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, I get, I get this dress as a, as a Yule ball. Right. You know, like it's like a gown. Pretty much. Um, and, you know, Harry gets this nice, you know, outfit. Well, and, Harry's got that and, fortune. And he doesn't get the girl that he needs. wants. And and he feels like he's o- always being, like, overshadowed, I guess. Yeah. Uh, by Harry. In, in the first two movies, it was kind of like, okay, I'm your sidekick. I'm just there along now the Now he's ride. like, I'm tired and of this shit. like, I want to have my own... You know, and then individuality. Is it, the, is it the next one where he joins the Quidditch team, um, or six? It might be six. I, it's six. Yeah, yes. yeah. And that they continue to develop that. He's like Robin, being like, "Hey, why do I got to be your partner? I'm gonna be White Nightwing. Screw you, man. Yeah. I do my own thing." <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like that you find you get a little, and that's very true to life as far as being a friend of someone that's super popular or whatever. Yeah, and also you know then. Uh, being, you know, that age and kind of searching for identity. And I, I think, you know, it, in the movie it comes off like, why is Ron being a little whiny little, you know, brat about this? But in context, I think it makes sense that he would face that at some point. Uh, and 14 is as good a time as any 
to do that. We don't get a lot of the Malfoys uh, in this. Like we don't get a lot of Draco. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I'll mention this when we get when I get to that episode. Draco really has his moment to shine again in six. I feel like that's where it's really a, a Draco story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do like that they're, you know, how diligently these movies keep that ensemble around. You know, even if Maggie Smith though, doesn't really have that much to do except dance with Ron when they, when she explains what the Yule Ball is, like they keep those people there. Like they make sure that we know that they're there throughout all of this. And I love, I like that. Is there a particular, uh, moment or character that's in that kind of more underserved supporting cast that you that you like in this one in this movie yeah because we always get the kids we get like the new additions like the mad eye moody in this but then you always you have the dumbledore you have mcgonagall you have of course snape you have like you know uh some of the other teachers and and other kids in gryffindor mostly in this movie there's not a lot of um it's it's mainly just Harry trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Yeah, <laughs> in the tournament, there's not a lot of scenes like in uh, seven and eight, particularly where there's a lot more like rounding off of as a character and and. Um, I like so. I had one that I wanted to throw out there. Yeah, what, what I, really, I really, I really like, <laughs> I really like. And of course, we don't get a lot of him in this movie. Minus, why you steal stuff from my from my storeroom? My, you're making polyjuice potion, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, I really like the moment where he's like watching them talk in study hall, and he like hits them with the book, and yeah. like they keep talking, and he keeps walking by, and he's just like, and he like rolls up, rolls his sleeve, and gets ready to <laughs> put their heads down. Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Such he's so perfect in in these movies. Um, not only because he makes us all cry in, in the last one, but because even when he has a crumb of, a, of material to work with, mm-hmm. sells that shit like you wouldn't believe. In five, you know, he gets the, the great moment with uh, Umbridge. She's like, oh, so you wanted to be defense against the dark arts teacher. And you were and you uh, you were, you know, you, you were passed over for that role or whatever. And he's like, obviously, like you get that. <laughs> Like he's that dry wit that, that Snape has. Yeah. He's so perfect every single time. Uh, I did want to mention too, while we're on the the kind of the stand the standard Hogwarts staff members, mm-hmm. uh, Dumbledore. There's obvious. There's that moment early on that you you know what I'm about to say, where Harry's name is pulled from the cup, and people from the people that read the books first lost their shit when Dumbledore reacts to Harry afterwards. Because oh. in the books, he's like, Harry, did you put your name in the... He's like very chill, very composed, very like that's kind of his... He's like, he's kind of zen. He's yeah. in this, in these latter movies after, you know, uh, after the second one where Richard Harris passed away and they brought Michael Gambon in to play Dumbledore. It's a little more he's, intense, he's a yeah. little more, he's a little like hippie-ish. He's a little, he's much more free spirit is kind of his vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, so in the movie... Yeah, uh, instead of being like very chilly, asking Harry, "What up, Harry? Why you do that?" Yeah, it's, 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 pop, pop did, you, did you do like, it or did you not? Yeah, and Harry's like, "Did you put your name on the hair?" Like he like bum rushes Harry. Harry's like, "Holy shit!" Um, it's trying to be more dramatic. I, I, guess. I think so. I don't know if it works to make it seem because like... it, when I was watching this last night, I tweeted out like podcast prep hashtag scary Dumbledore with that gif. I was like, "Did you put your name on the goblet?" I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, did that feel out of character to you or did it stand out to you at all? Or did you not even notice it until I guess people 
were bothered by it? Or did I just now bring it up for the first time? <laughs> um, Lots of options. I, to, to be honest, I, I didn't really, I don't think I really like realized in the moment. Um, but I did hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the moment goes by so fast. Yeah, but yeah. It's... Because, but he does overreact a lot in in the movie in comparison to the the books. Yeah, he's more inquisitive in the books and calm as he is later in the later movies. He's mm-hmm. he's not so like you know it's accusatory true. and like <laughs> blaming him for it. He's like, oh, something is up is. Something is, is like, at works here. Right. He's more like where McGonagall is, mm-hmm. you know? Like, she's being calm. She's being, like, well, someone obviously, you know, did this. And, uh, you know, I, this couldn't have been Harry, you know? And Dumbledore is just going off the rails. What the hell? <laughs> Take your medicine, Dumbledore. Yeah, and Moody's trying to, like, feed them, like, oh, well, who else could it be? He probably had an older kid do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, don't, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't, don't be a su- suspect. Way above the, the talents of a fourth year or something like that. Uh, yeah, because like in, in, cause in six, Dumbledore's like, Harry, come on, hang out with me. We're going to go destroy a horcrux. And there's like a swirl of fire and it's like some crazy and shit happens. The trust He's is like, real. He's like, it's all good. Let's go. It's yeah. fine. The trust is real. Shit happens. He, Look, my hand is all jacked up. Eh, what up? No, exactly. No problem. That's true to Dumbledore. And, he, and yeah. that whole like scene where he kind of... You know, flipped. It, it just played. It was just for the moment, like to add drama to the moment. Like, oh, oh my god! Like, Dumbled, even Dumbledore is upset. A fourth this is serious. <laughs> Dumbledore never gets upset. Yeah. Look at his blood pressure. Uh, and then at the end, he says, "Harry, I put you in a lot of danger this year." And I'm like, dude, every movie, you're always holding. He's always holding some piece of information back. He's like, I probably should have told you this. Like, yeah. I, I mean, didn't he know way early about? the Horcruxes and Harry possible connection. Like he knew that not me, not at this point, yeah. but he knows more than he's telling always. Cause he's trying to protect Harry. Yeah, so exactly. every end of every movie, he's like, Harry, I didn't fucked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have ended up facing a giant snake. I or, held on to this information like, whatever. too like, long. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I dropped the ball. <laughs> I know. I know. I, that's, that's, that's two, that's three strikes for me. You I know? feel like, I feel like in the, like in the end, he he knows what's gonna happen. Like he knew he, he was probably going uh, to die. He knew what was you know he. I I feel like he has like a plan of what's gonna happen before it happens. So mm-hmm. he's holding information in, but it's only for the better good until it's actually vital for him to know. Right. Right. So. He, he tries to hold it in, and sometimes as long it, as he can. I sometimes guess. he shits it out on accident. Like, oh, sorry, Harry. Yeah, that I was mean, supposed it, to happen. I mean, I mean, that's against the plan. I mean, you realize until like the end that he's really not as nice as he's come across in right. the previous books. Yeah, it's really Severus that's <laughs> the nice one. Right. <laughs> Which it's like completely like you would think Severus is the bad one and Dumbledore is the good one, but it, like, well, because in that. Over. And now we're in the eighth movie, but yeah, in yeah, that yeah. scene, we get the flashback and Snape is like, well, shouldn't we tell him stuff? And he's like, no, we cannot know this. He's like, that's where you have that conversation where Snape is like, should we like, like bring Harry in on this information and stuff? Yeah. And he's like, no, like, he must die. No, he's, it's gotta happen. That's, that's the way it is, man. It's not, it's like, it's that thing that you see like, you know, that, that big question is like, if you could find out the exact moment and date, the date of your death, would you want to know? It's like that kind of thing. And I think Dumbledore is 
just keeping Harry like, you don't need to know that you're kind of screwed. This is all heading towards you dying, uh, albeit briefly, but still. I mean, and also, is it because you have to really think like, is it because like, does he truly care about people or is it because he has like a lust for power Mm -hmm. and Voldemort's really the only one that could test it again to harp on this to go back to Star Wars it's kind of like Yoda and Palpatine Yoda in those prequels especially very arrogant very much like oh you know we could figure this out blah 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 like he he thinks he has all the answers he thinks he's hot shit basically and he thinks he's got it under control the other person thinks he's got it under control but it's 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 sort of like a it's sort of like a grasping of power and everyone else is in a way pawns Mm -hmm. Uh, not only grasping power but also like you know I think Dumbledore ultimately will do whatever he needs to to ensure victory over you know Voldemort in this case so it's it's also <laughs> it's a hot fuzz reference for you, yeah. but the greater good, it's that kind of thing. Like he doesn't want Harry to have to die because he cares about him, but if that's what needs to happen in order for Voldemort to also die, then that that shit happens, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he's also doing it because Voldemort's just a bad guy, right? But I'm sure it's also because you know he's like he he would be like one just as powerful right as Dumbledore yeah you know he's like look I'm I'm all I'm all old and wise and grandfatherly I got your best interest at heart I'm definitely not up to some shenanigans in addition to also trying to look out for everyone at the school uh yeah he's a way more complex character I think than uh than we learn at this point uh let's see I wanted to talk about the visual effects, obviously, really good. Still hold up 15 years later. Exactly, yeah. Per, per, I mean, I don't know if I want to say perfect, but pretty close. Like, there was nothing in it that's egregiously, like, like if you watch even the Lord of the Rings movies now, there's moments here and there where you're like, ooh, that didn't, that's not so great. The part where Legolas slides down the elephant, that looks very much like green screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, even the, uh, the, the troll from Sorcerer's Stone, not, not aged well. It looks like crap. Yeah. Uh, everything else looks pretty good, but that does not. They Very were cartoony. Th- this is where CG was like had reached the level where everything in the in these last in this movie and maybe the previous one was like pitch perfect. And I think you know you see <clears throat> you see that not only with the way things are executed, but also like the design of the dragons, of the mermaids, mm-hmm. of uh, you know the, all the, the 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 moment when Harry and Voldemort's wands connect. Uh, and just the way that that looks, it should sound stupid. You're like, their wands shoot little fire at each other, and it's and like locked and come sparks out and, and people and ghosts and stuff. And you're like, that sounds goofy, man. Yeah, it, it's a very intense moment, and I think part of that is the visuals, and I think part of that is the music from Patrick Doyle, who is the this is the first movie, uh, the first Harry Potter movie that has a score not done by John Williams, because he did the first he did the music for the first three. So you have the Voldemort theme you have to have a theme for each school you have to still work in that ding 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 ding, ding the classic harry potter theme in there and i think the score actually really holds up uh which is weird considering you know it, it was the first handoff from the legendary john williams uh speak to some of that the music the visuals anything else about the production that we haven't covered so far 
No, I, I think in terms of like maybe some of the underwater stuff, it, it could be a little bit questionable, like the shark head and everything. Maybe that's that was, true. That is a good that point. That was a little. That might be the closest this comes you know, to being like, but, ooh, sketchy. Yeah, but but still, it's it still holds up the movie, though, yeah. aside from that. I think the reason that get, that gets a, a maybe a slight pass is that it's not an actual shark creature. It's a, a, a boy like Attached. manifesting into a shark yeah. form. So it's like you can kind of have that little bit of... It's not even supposed to be like the mermaids are supposed to be like creatures that exist. Mm-hmm. That would be the only like scene that I would nitpick maybe if I had to about like special effects and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, but everything else, uh, the dragon and and and, uh, and the fight scenes with Harry and even like, um, you know, the Quidditch match and all that... It was, yeah, really, really well done now. Yeah, poor Harry. So. I was thinking about the Quidditch World Cup. I was watching it, and uh, Harry gets knocked out like at least a couple times in every single one of these movies. <laughs> Harry's just like, "Oh, where am I? Next chapter." <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just thought that was uh, funny. But, uh, but yeah. uh, in terms of like again with the turning point, that makes sense that they move on from John Williams and get this guy because they also want. To have a change in music, right? To and they don't get Patrick Doyle to do all the the scores either. Like I think it it changes sort of on and off from for from the John next Williams? few movies. Yeah, but when John Williams doesn't come back. I think uh, it's Patrick Doyle, and then I don't even remember who did five, but it's a uh, Nicholas Hooper, I think. Uh, you had the scores for these movies at some point. I don't know if you still have yeah, or you got rid of them I at think, some point, but yeah, I think I do still have all the CDs. Yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. Them, yeah. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to make sure we pointed out. Moaning Myrtle because she's awesome. Uh, she's the act, she's frisky for she, sure. Oh my god, dude! And it's just, it's worse when you think about the fact that that actress is like in her late thirties when she's playing this character, Shirley uh-huh. Henderson. Uh, she actually also does the voice of Babu Frick for people who saw The Rise of Skywalker. I don't even know if you've even seen that yet. No, I haven't. and um, which is why I didn't have you on for the Star Wars yeah. series. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Hey, he's not into Star Wars. Harry Potter. I'll get to Freddy. I was, um, I was a little into Star Wars, but not not so much. Not as much as you were. Right. You know? That's how that that was always our thing. I was more Star Wars. You were more Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah. And we sort of and were, a little Lord of the Rings. Lord and of the stuff, Rings. Yeah. We, were, we were both in the Lord of the Rings. Though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was playing the the games, the Two Towers and Return of the King. Those were fun. I tried reading the books after I watched the movies for Lord of the Rings. It, not, not the same. Did not you know? Not the same experience. Different, different age level, uh, level and uh, not as exciting as Harry Potter for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they they the movies jump around more. Those are just like we're gonna spend a hundred pages with Pippin and Mary walking around in this place and the trees yeah. and it's like Very, it's like, I would definitely say too descriptive. Right. Like talking about. Let me like, tell you about what. Uh, the hell is that dude's name? Tree beards. Tree, tree beard. Like branches look like. Yeah. Like, uh. I swear there was a whole chapter of that one scene just describing the leaves falling from the trees right. and stuff. I mean, way too descriptive. Um, so I, but I could only read up. I read the first one. I read half of the second one. You rewatched the movies. You're like, I'm good. Yeah. I was like, I'm I get good. it. I, I understand now. I can't do this. Uh, so Moaning Myrtle. So Moaning Myrtle. Because the actress is played by something like thirty-something year old, uh, it makes that it makes that feel like a hashtag Me Too scene. 
like moment where she's like, oh, I'll tell all the bubbles were gone. And she's like trying to check out Harry's if business. If she wasn't like, a ghost, Jesus, it would, it would, it would be, be really weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, you get a free pass because you're like, well, she can't like touch anything. Even if she's like, hey, what's that? She can't like. Well, make what else does she contact. have though? She's that's, a ghost. That's true. She's like a peeping Thomas. She, she doesn't have like grown men going in. That's and, true. So she's like. Still oh. creepy. I'm around like boys, but what else? She's peeping out their yeah, business. She, I don't know. It's very, it's a very uncomfortable scene. Peeping Mon- it's Myrtle. definitely, <laughs> yeah, peeping Myrtle. Exactly. <laughs> it's definitely a scene that if these movies were being made today, they would leave that shit out. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for kids. Like, hey, let's go see a scene where some like grown woman's like, what's up? Uh, of course, she's playing like 15, but still, it's still either way, any way you look at it, it's weird. Uh, you mentioned Peter Pettigrew. Timothy Spall shows up in. Obviously, the graveyard scene uh, a little bit there. We get more of him later on. Uh, Gary Oldman is Sirius Black. CG, you know, coals and fire, Sirius Black. Uh, is, he's in the, is he in the book more? Doesn't he confer with him a couple times in, yeah. the, in the book? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more than just the one scene. I believe maybe like two or three times he talks to him in the fireplace, mm-hmm. I think. And I think it, it feels, I didn't look into this, but I didn't get a chance to, but it feels to me like Gary Oldman was busy doing six million other things. Right. And so they He's had him record, yeah. exactly. They had him record the dialogue and then just did the CG on the, for his face. Because by the time you see him in the next one, when they have the conversation through the fire, it's Gary Oldman's face mm-hmm. in like the fire, like, you know, flu powder or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, obviously he's in the next one you know, substantially. Uh, so I always thought that was funny. I'm like, they just didn't want to. He's just busy that day. So let's just CG. And it looks cool. Like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neat like it's a neat uh, approach to that scene. But it clearly felt like something that was designed to work around his schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to see if there's any other people we wanted to mention. Rita Skeeter we mentioned a little we bit. talk about Mad-Eye. We, didn't ma- we mentioned Mad-Eye. Well, the different um, things about the Polyjuice Potion, like... They, like Moaning Myrtle mentioned the Polyjuice Potion in the bath. Yeah. Um, Severus in the closet. I already mentioned that. Uh, he keeps drinking something. Oh, but it's not pumpkin juice. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, that, and that's like where I go back to the whole, to the mystery element of these. Like there's, there's tents there if you're paying attention to them. Yeah. But you're not looking because you're worried about the Triwizard Tournament, which is all like... Yeah, to borrow from like Chicago, the razzle dazzle. It's like, look, look at Tri Wizard. Don't pay attention to this this shifty looking dude with the with the flask, or uh, you know, um, or the, the the port keys, the that screaming are coming out of a chest they, or something. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they set up uh, the port key thing. They set up at the very beginning of the movie with the boot to take them to the Quidditch World Cup. Like the 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 setting, uh, the the story structure is really clean. Even in the in this individual movie, and these are obviously, you know, stories that compound and complicate each other as they go along. But even in this one, they set up the introduction of the port key, and then it pays off at the end in a way no one is is expecting, readers or viewers. Yeah, I see. I wonder also if um, with uh, Lucius at the Quidditch match, did he know that all of that was going to happen after the Quidditch match? Because he he stopped hearing. He said like um, you. Something about you better enjoy these these moments or whatever, like kind of like as if he's like foreshadowing, like, hey, I know something's going to happen at this Quidditch match after. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. It's so, un- it's unclear. We don't get any indication whether he was participating in that 
or among maybe the dead leaders. Or, or if he was get yeah, he got a whisper. That time he got a whisper, but not the rest of the time. Uh, yeah, it's unclear. Because everything he says is ominous and creepy and threatening regardless. So it's just easy to be like, yeah, there it goes Lucius threatening a, a yeah. teenager again <laughs> like, he, like he does. Oh, that Lucius. Um, uh, Hagrid, we don't get much Hagrid in this. I think it's probably the first time. This is the least amount of Hagrid we get. Uh, it basically, he's just there to uh, to sort of romance what's her face, whose name I'm, bl- I'm blanking on, and uh, I'm trying to find it. Max Maxim, Maxim Olymp, Maxim of uh, the headmistress of the Bobatons, mm-hmm. and we get to learn a, bit, a little bit more about like his half giant uh, parentage. He's just basically there to show the dragons to Harry, pretty much, and that's right. kind of all he does in this movie. Yeah, uh, which and is a couple funny scenes. Yeah. With, with- what, what was the name? <laughs> the Maxim? Maxim. The magazine. It's also a men's magazine. Yeah. Sexy men's magazine. So I can see why Hagrid was interested. Yeah. Uh, it, but, and, that, and I feel like a lot of the the shifting roles of the ensemble players for you know for, in the Harry Potter series are really just story-based. Like, not only based on what the book has, but also he's like the, you know, their mentor slash buddy in the first couple when they're little kids and they need that and then as they grow up they rely on Hagrid less and less to the point that he's there throughout all these movies but he's not really an integral part anymore going forward I'd, I'd say and then it's just the matter of stripping away all of Harry's support system first starting with uh well starting with the fact that now he feels unsafe in his school Cedric got killed and like all hell's about to break loose then uh spoilers Sirius and then Dumbledore and then kind of trickling down until Harry has to kind of stand up for himself so it's that rise to, you know, the call to action kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that that's definitely a part of why Hagrid's gradually shifting out uh, as from prominence in this in this uh, series. Is there anything we haven't covered? I feel like we've caught a lot of stuff. I didn't make, like I said, I, I'm not taking 400 notes because I don't want to mess the, I don't want to over, over uh, saturate it. No, I think we've covered pretty we much everything, pretty, yeah. It's pretty straightforward of a movie, like the yeah. Triwizard Tournament and then like the Quidditch World I mean, Cup and things. We've already talked about like what some of the things that aren't in the movie that they cut out with right. the whole like like elf rights and stuff. They they In the books, they delved into that. And Which Hermione's is, like trying to like fight for elf right, rights. Right, I remember that. And uh, also Dobby is the one to give Harry like the gillyweed. Kai pointed that out. Yeah. She actually only really read the books like last year because uh-huh. she's finally fresh, like, fresh I guess movie. I should watch these. Though she's going to come on to talk about six. Yeah. So she was like, hey, that was different in the books. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I think it was because I listened to the audiobooks like a million years ago. Uh, so, so, yeah, that's but then that's just a matter of how well otherwise Neville would have nothing to do. And it's like and I mentioned Wait. to Kai, it's like creating a having a CG character in this movie for one scene, basically. It's just... Yeah, exactly. Because they weren't going to do the Alf rights thing, which is a cool subplot, but very much something you put in a novel to world build, not something you put in a movie where you need to actually progress the story, story constantly. Yeah. I, it, yeah. I felt like it, it was necessarily cut. cut. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. And uh, you, you don't want Dobby just coming out of nowhere like... Harry Potter, here's some gillyweed, bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, there's no use. There's no place for him without that that subplot. Basically. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, and we talked about the Yule Ball. Kind of, we talked about uh, the. There's a, the, the, the movie is also. I don't feel like we've. I feel like we've undersold like the humor. There's a lot of like 
really fun moments in this in these movies too. Uh, I like the awkwardness between Harry and Ron yeah, trying to I ask out that. women and how they go in pairs right. and stuff. <laughs> They're like, "Are you going to ask me to dance?" No, and storms off. Yeah, like the 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 Patel twins uh, and or sisters. I guess I don't know if they're twins. And then uh, the moment where Hermione, Harry, uh, Ron is having Hermione relay a message to Harry when he's standing right there. He's like, "Oh, you know, Pavardi told uh, so," and she's like, "I'm not an owl like that." The dynamics between those friendships, I feel yeah. like it's really, it, they're enriching it a lot more. So that by the time you get to the last one, when it's really the three of them against the Death Eaters in in large portion, uh, in a large portion of it, that their friendship has been through so much and they've overcome so much and they've grown so much as people and their friendships have have deepened mm-hmm. to the point when where when Harry, uh, when Ron and Hermione kiss in the Chamber of Secrets, spoilers in <laughs> eight, I think. Uh, it's like the moment that these movies have been building for for like years, uh, and when Harry faces off against Voldemort the, for the final time in that last movie, it, this is where that that really starts to take shape. And it, in a large portion, like you could almost be like sit someone down, tell them the story of the first three, and then be like, all right, now shit gets real, and then play this. You know what I mean? Kind of like the way that episodes one and two for Star Wars are like, yeah, he's a Jedi and they fly around. And then Revenge of the Sith is where it really kind of starts the story of the rest of the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that. This is really the the turning point. I've said that already, but this is really like five times. I know the turning both, point. Turning point. Turning point. Both <laughs> said that. This, this is the pivot, most pivotal chapter where everything. Hermione says it. Everything's gonna change now, isn't it? And, yeah. then, and then Harry's like, yeah. The fuck you've been here and the dude's back and shit's getting shit's scary. And it's all just, my fault. They, they should have just done that. Like, open your eyes, Mariah. Damn, and then walk away. Credits. <laughs> da, 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 da. No, but I think we've done a good job kind of covering it. Uh, I would put this maybe I, like, I think I like eight and three, and then this is it's then it's between this and six for me. It's it, that's kind of it's it's I think maybe you I like, like Order it. of the Phoenix. I did not care for Order of the Phoenix as much. <laughs> Order of the Phoenix is probably bottom three for me, uh, but I need to. I'm gonna rewatch it for the next uh, installment of this, you know, this podcast series. So we'll see if my opinion changes at all. Uh, but I, I do like I like all the relationshipy stuff too. Yeah. Like I, when Half Blood Prince came out, a lot of people were like, "What the hell? They're spending so much time with this love potion and this, what's whatever her name, Lavender Brown, and all this stuff." And people were like. More of the Voldemort flashbacks. And I, I hadn't read the book at that point. I saw the movies first because obviously that's my preferred medium for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I liked all that stuff, like the, the love triangle things and all that. I like all that shit. The friendships, like I was just saying. So I didn't, I don't think you needed four flashbacks of like Voldemort was scary of Throne. Since he was up forever, he was always scary and he had bad shit happen. Yeah. I'm like, I, I get it. Just give me a couple of the gist and move I mean, on. I get it. He's scary. Yeah. There's a little kid in that flashback in six and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. He's going to, he's like, it's like straight oh, omen shit. that covered into yeah. the fire. What, yeah. What yeah. Stay away from that kid. Uh, so <laughs> any closing thoughts on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Obviously people, this is, the, people have seen these movies, so... Uh, they're available on HBO Max as, as of now. I don't think they are going to be there for for very long, just because oh. licensing deals and stuff. So uh, definitely check that out. Any any other further closing thoughts on the movie? I don't know. I just think that this is a really good t- turning point. For it is <laughs> a turning point of the podcast. Turning point of the <laughs> Harry Potter. It, said it. <laughs> so much. Of it. So uh, 
Normally is where I ask guests to tell people where they can find them on social media. Do you use any social media these days? I don't really use social Instagram, media. Instagram, anything? You can find, uh, there's different social medias with variations of my name, Freddie underscore Yenis. Just go into your social media Freddy app of choice. Yenis. Ty- type in something of, of, approximating Freddie Yenis. And friend whoever it is, maybe it's him, maybe it's not. It's a mystery. <laughs> Shot in the dark. Fine. Yeah, pretty much. It's a shot for me too when I log into my account. Jeez. <laughs> like, oh, underscore dot. Yeah, you don't even know anymore. Yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on to talk about Harry Potter. I'm glad I was able to get you into one of the Harry Potters. And this is, uh, what was that? Turning point, I think yeah. is the phrase <laughs> of, the, of the franchise. So I'm glad I was able to, to get you in for this one. So I don't know when, when we'll bring you back eventually. Uh, it's up to you. You want to talk about something, you let me know. Oh, one of the things that I also yeah. thought. Oh, about Harry Potter? Yeah, about Go Harry for Potter. It. Um, I like how it started where it ended. Yes. You know, with the whole tournament. Uh, it started at the graveyard with that statue of Tom Riddle's dad, um, kind of alluding to like, like, like death maybe in the book by having such like a, you know, obviously like it's, seems like it's going to foreshadow something dark happening Mm -hmm. and maybe Cedric Diggory's death at the end. I, I don't know. I felt like maybe that, that was like a foreshadow. Yeah. So I like how it, it went full circle. Like it started and then it ended like the whole tournament with that same image. Yeah. So it's cool. It's right a good one. Yeah. I feel like somehow this movie has gotten underrated in the series. I don't know why. I don't know why exactly, but I feel like maybe because people it's a feel lot like of it. Tournament fluff. Yeah. And maybe people feel like at the, the end makes the rest of the movie kind of not worth it. But yeah. I, I like that about face, as I said. So, um, is there anything you want to come back on the show to talk about anytime soon? We, you can always come on and just pick something, and then we get you back on here to talk about whatever. Maybe, let me know. Think about yeah, it. Let me know. I'll let you know. <laughs> you, you, you have my contact info. Yes. <laughs> I'm very I'm very track downable yeah. on social media, as as people know. Say your, uh, say your things. Then. You can find Crooked Table on Twitter <laughs> at Crooked Table, Instagram, uh, Facebook. We have a Facebook page as well. Uh, Tumblr, I think, also. We have, we're everywhere. And of course, at crookedtable.com. Stay tuned for more episodes. Uh, we have a lot of interesting things in the pipeline. But of course, we'll have Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix next month and uh, kind of round this out by the end of the year. I'm already kind of uh, working in my head of, of solidifying what franchise I want to do for next year. Uh, it might it might not be if fantasy or sci-fi. You could do Lord of the Rings. Uh, that's too short though. See, I want to go. You I'm not do Hobbit. Fuck those movies. No thanks. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> I did Star Wars because it's all like a thing. Uh, yeah. But and I'm I'm not doing the Fantastic Beasts for the same reason. Yeah. Uh, it, those movies don't exist anymore. Nobody's really like more Fantastic Beasts. I don't. You did you do... see two? Huh? Did you see the Crimes of Grindelwald? No. Yeah, see? And you're a Harry Potter person. We just yeah. talked a whole thing about your history, and you and you're like, fuck that. I haven't, I haven't read Don't those care. books. Yeah, no. I haven't even... Yeah, haven't see, nobody cares. I haven't read the books. So. That's, I, was telling, I was telling Kai that yesterday. I was like, they've so devalued this franchise that even hardcore Harry Potter fans are like, eh, this is not for me. I'm like, Harry Potter? It's I want them not to for you? To, what the hell? I want them to add to Harry Potter. Well, and when we were watching it, when I was watching Goblet of Fire, yeah. I was saw the flashback with Karkakov in his trial 
And I said to Kai, I said, why isn't this the prequel series you're doing? This is what I'd rather see. Mm -hmm. Show me Lily, James, Sever, like show me all of them when this starts to happen the first time. Don't give me, and then there was this guy who liked animals and uh, Grindelwald who we don't care about. And like, what the hell? It's one of those, their books that they mentioned or something. Yeah, it was the the first one was a textbook. And and that's what they made the first one based off of. So I don't know what the hell's going to, no one knows what's (laughs) happening with the third one. If it's yeah. it's supposed to still make, they're supposed to still make it. There's rumors they might just like wrap it up with an HBO Max limited series and call it a day because mm-hmm. she wanted to do five of them. And I'm like, man, I don't even want to watch one. So I mean, I saw yeah. the one and it was boring. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yes. maybe you should do a show next. I mean, I have like you uh, do each season. I I uh, I don't know if I would do, do a, Grey's Anatomy. That, no thanks. <laughs> I, I have some 20. ideas and people I've talked to about doing what I call crooked detours, mm-hmm. where it is essentially a non-movie, so a show or you know whatever. Uh, so I have a, I have a couple ideas like for that, but I don't know if I want to do like seasons of a show. I don't have that ton of time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we'll definitely get you back on here at some point to talk about something. Not Harry Potter, obviously, but something. So let me know. And uh, until next time, this is the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.